Focus on the Voice of America. I'm Nabil Biagio in Washington, working on this program via remote. Here are some of the top stories making news across South Sudan and Sudan this Friday, June 24, 2022. A signatory to South Sudan's 2018 peace agreement is calling for an urgent meeting to discuss when the nation should hold elections. And we think that it's important for the parties to, you know, to come together to start a way forward. Uh, whether it is possible to implement some of these uh, requirements within the remaining period of time, or, you know, what should be the way forward. And the deputy head of Sudan's Sovereign Council has announced the establishment of a fund to assist internally displaced persons in Darfur. I call upon all well-wishers across 18 states of Sudan, all businessmen across the world, that we are facing a serious humanitarian tragedy. Our people have been sheltering in public institutions for nearly two years, and they wanted to go home to their original places. We will have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. The National Democratic Movement, or NDM, is calling on the reconstituted Joint Monitoring and Evaluation Commission, the body responsible for monitoring implementation of the South Sudan peace deal, to convene an urgent meeting of the signatories to agree on when to hold elections. A senior NDM member says the parties must decide on a date to avoid the continuation of the status quo. A government spokesperson denies the SPLM government has no political will to conduct elections. Waki Simon Udu reports for VOA from Juba. Earlier this week, the National Democratic Movement, a signatory to the peace agreement, which is led by South Sudanese politician Lama Kol, released a statement about South Sudan's general elections, which are to be held towards the end of the interim period as stipulated in the revitalized peace agreement. The NDM party statement noted the kick-off date for the process leading to holding general elections later this year was Wednesday of this week. Peter Lomude Francis, chairperson of NDM's Political Affairs Committee, says, unfortunately, no steps are underway to prepare the country for holding elections, and that is why his party wrote to the reconstituted Joint Monitoring and Evaluation Commission. And we think that it's important for the parties to, you know, to come together to start a way forward. Uh, whether it is possible to implement some of these uh, requirements within the remaining period of time, or you know, what should be the way forward. So definitely, it will, it will not be only the NDM, you know, to, to decide on, you know, on its own. But it requires all the parties to the agreement to, to, to meet and to see what is the way forward. With less than eight months to go before the end of the interim period, Lomude says prerequisites for conducting elections, including the unification of empty security forces, conducting a population census, enacting a permanent constitution and judicial reforms have yet to be carried out. Lomude claims some parties have deliberately blocked implementation of the agreement since 2018 to ensure that the process for holding elections is delayed. He says the SPLM in government headed by President Salva Kiir has no political will to conduct elections on time. For, for example, after one of the agreements, after today we have you know, the formation of the government, 
government of national unity. The transitional government of national unity, there are a number of government institutions that are not yet established. Uh, I, I should refer you, for example, the commission. The SPLMIO did not immediately respond to a request for comment, but Said Bandas, the SPLMIO secretary for the National Committee on Economic Affairs, told the South Sudan in focus last month that his party believes that full implementation of the peace deal should be a priority before elections are held. Bandas says implementing the peace deal would give all parties and citizens enough space to establish institutions and the legal framework necessary for holding elections. He says delays in conducting a national census, security arrangements, the return of refugees, and other unfulfilled provisions in the peace agreement are obstacles to holding elections. He says the SPLMIO will be ready for elections after the agreement is fully implemented. We are for election. We are the one calling for the election at the end of the interim period because we need uh, our country to move from the from the armed, conflict to peaceful political. This situation, as we said earlier, now we are focusing to implement this revitalized agreement so that we can create a better space for the election. South Sudan Information Minister Michael McQuay told the South Sudan in focus his party, the SPLM in government, believes elections will be conducted per the requirements of the peace agreement. He denies the SPLM in government party has no political will to conduct elections. He says other factors hindering activities on the conduct of the elections includes the United Nations Security Council's decision to continue the arms embargo on South Sudan. There has never been any security up to now. Even up to now, there are some people who are still carrying arms in the bush. And uh, those, those groups which are still at large, of course, are a source of insecurity. This is one. Number two, the NCAC. And the enactment of the laws, including amendment of the constitution or the coming out of the permanent constitution of the Republic of South Sudan, the, the permanent constitution is not yet. Uh, that is one. The security arrangement have not yet been properly, fully implemented. Chapter 1 of the peace deal requires that 60 days prior to the end of the transitional period, a National Elections Commission shall organize elections in accordance with the provisions of a permanent constitution adopted pursuant to the peace deal and shall ensure that the outcome is broadly reflective of the will of the electorate. For VONO, Zamwake Simon Wudu in Juba. Authorities and residents in eastern Equatorial State say calm is slowly returning to the state after cattle keepers began returning to their original villages in Jongle State about three weeks ago. But locals say they need assurances from state officials the area is secure and safe for residents to resume farming activities. Waki Simon Wudu has more for VOA from Juba. Magui County resident Alonga Sam was among those affected when empty cattle keepers from Jongale State began moving into the county. Sam says when the cattle keepers came, he and many members of his community were forced to leave the village of Magui as insecurity ensued between the empty cattle keepers and locals. In recent weeks, cattle keepers started leaving Magui County and are heading back to their original villages.
Some says he and his family have returned home now that the cattle keepers are leaving and the violence has ended. Uh, as I'm speaking now, uh, it is a bit frustrated. Uh, the situation has almost come, but some of the residents, like people from Abara and people from Wunjibul, they are always speaking, running up and down because of the circulating rumors. Some says some cattle keepers have stayed on in parts of eastern equatorial state Nimule County, especially around Mugali. He says that has made some local community members feel it is still not safe to resume farming activities and want assurances from state authorities that the area is now secure. 34-year-old Akena Pons, a resident of Ameo village located just north of Magui town, says cattle belonging to jungle estate pastoralists destroyed his personal property and food crops. Now that most of the cattle keepers have left, Pons says he and many other displaced residents have returned to their villages. But there is no good fear in them, not in their home, but not for a life to be successful the risk of free movement. So these people are more from location to location because they are fearing. The fear is that there are other people, unknown group of people, who don't always kill people in the road. And those who are killing people in the road are not identified. So this is how we like, for example, uh, just two weeks ago, there was one still alone. Uh, for their, uh, Uganda border. Pons says life is not easy now for residents whose property was destroyed. He says the returnees' lack of food forces many to survive on wild foods like wild yams, among other types. Eastern Equatorial State Information Minister Patrick Otim says the cattle keepers left the area after state and national government leaders intervened to ensure that cattle keepers return to their places of origin. Although things are not perfect, Otim says the situation is improving. Uh, in Choyi or Madi or generally Magui County, the security situation is up. Uh, we are grateful, uh, especially uh, organized forces uh, actually uh, deployed uh, in that area of Madi uh, corridor. Uh, our forces from uh, the state, uh, from the state uh, of providing security to the people uh, in Magui County. Okelo Odongto Lawiri, a lawmaker from Magui County representing Eastern Equatorial State at the Council of States, says the security situation has returned to normal in some areas, but not everywhere. The state in general is calm. The, the security situation in uh, the area of Nimule up to Mugali, Nilijo, is still, uh, you know, people are still living in fear. A lot of people are displaced. So um, there is still a, a revenge killing that is ongoing. People are being lynched. Um, even yesterday, the day before yesterday, we lost one of our uh, young men who brought in some goods from the countryside to be sold in Juba. On his way back, um, uh, he was lynched. He was actually slaughtered um, around. In March this year, empty cattle keepers from Jungle State moved to parts of Eastern Equatorial State in search of pasture. The arrival of herders in villages of Ameo, Abara, Mogali, Aguero, and other places triggered insecurity as classes broke out between the cattle keepers and locals, most of whom are farmers.
Lawiri says dozens of people, including local chiefs, were killed during those clashes. He says dozens of houses were burnt and at least 30,000 people were displaced from their villages. For VON News, I'm Waki Simon Wudu in Juba. The deputy head of Sudan's Sovereign Council, Mohamed Hamdan Dagulu, has announced the establishment of a charitable fund to support the safe return of the displaced and address the humanitarian situation in West Darfur State. General Dagulu says the funds will be deducted from all the regular forces, including the army, the police, and the rapid support forces. Michael Atit reports for VOA from Khartoum. On his fifth day of an official visit to West Darfur State yesterday, General Dagolo met with the West Darfur State Cabinet in Aljanena town. He told reporters that after consulting with the heads of all Sudanese regular forces, authorities have agreed to deduct between 2,000 and 3,000 Sudanese pounds from the salaries of all top military officers and 1,000 Sudanese pounds from junior officers to set up a charitable fund for the internally displaced in West Darfur State. He says the money will be used to facilitate the safe and voluntary return of the ITPs in West Darfur State to their places of origin. Dagolo reiterated the government's commitment to address all humanitarian and security imbalances and expressed regret for the inhuman conditions the displays are living in. He called on all Sudanese in and out of the country to contribute to the fund to lift the suffering of the IDPs. I call upon all well-wishers across 18 states of Sudan, all businessmen across the world, that we are facing a serious humanitarian tragedy. Our people have been sheltering in public institutions for nearly two years, and they wanted to go home to their original places. The International Organization for Migration reported in May that almost 60,000 people remain displaced in the village of Krenik, with the majority sheltering in open areas schools or other public buildings. The IOM says only 7% of the IDPs say they intend to return home due to a continued security concerns. In its latest report, Human Rights Watch says attacks on civilians in the town of Kulbuz and neighboring villages in West Darfur State earlier this month left at least 125 people dead, over 100 injured and 33,000 displaced. Dagalo says the funds will be guarded and managed transparently to disperse funds in accordance with the humanitarian needs. These funds will be administered with transparency that allows the needy people to benefit. I will be personally monitoring this program. We will be giving updates to the media. Let's follow up and be witnesses to all the process. Some IDPs in Aljanena town of West Darfur State have downplayed the importance of Dagolo's announcement, saying returning home is not the priority for them at the moment. Abdul Razik Abdullah Hassan, an IDP living in one of the schools in Aljanena town, says scores of violations and crimes have been committed against local civilians and no one has been held responsible. Hassan says if there is peace and stability, the IDPs will voluntarily return to their homes. 
The first priority for the IDPs at the moment is to see perpetrators being brought to justice. This is key to the stability of the area. Voluntary return will happen automatically if there is stability, peace and security in the area. Local rights activist Amna Adam Muhammad says IDPs are afraid of being targeted by armed militias. Adam says returning home should be voluntary and be carried out in dignified manner. We cannot go back to our homes when we do not feel our dignity. We have been subjected to humiliation and up to this moment, the government is unable to identify any single perpetrator. This is a crime. We want to see that those who committed crimes are brought to the court of law. Dagala called on traditional leaders and young people in West Darfur state to engage in reconciliation, promote peaceful coexistence, and resist all forms of division and violence. For VOA News, I am Michael Atit in Khartoum. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. Coming up, we look at listener comments from this week right after this break. What do you think? People speak out on important questions. The question today. How does your family take care of an elderly relative? Once in a while, we sit down with him, speak with him, ask him how he's doing so he doesn't feel lonely. Then we also tell him about what is going on in the world so that he doesn't feel left out. We make sure we provide the basic needs like food, water, make her happy, not to feel rejected. Because when they are growing and you start to abandon them, they see that they are not needed. And showing them love even brings them healing. Helping them with the domestic cures, for example, preparing meals for them, uh, helping them with the clothes, cleaning up the house. What do you think? A daily discussion of important questions from VOA. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus on The Voice of America. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres has condemned Iran's increasing use of executions in the death penalty, including among children, in violation of international law. The Secretary General has submitted a report on the human rights situation in Iran to the UN Human Rights Council. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva. The Secretary General has deplored Tehran's increasing use of executions and the death penalty, saying they are based on charges that do not amount to the most serious crimes and are incompatible with fair trial standards. UN Deputy High Commissioner for Human Rights Nada al-Nashif, who presented the report, said at least 570 people were executed in the past two years, many on drug-related charges. Those executed, she says, included at least 14 women and more than 100 people belonging to minority groups. Al-Nashif decried the execution of at least two child offenders between August 2021 and March 2022 in violation of international law. She said more than 85 child offenders remain on death row. Patterns of arbitrary deprivation of life due to excessive force used by the authorities against border couriers, peaceful protesters and those in detention continued with impunity. 
the scale of deaths in detention, both as a result of violence and ill-treatment by officials, and due to the lack of timely access to medical care, is of serious concern. The report accuses the Iranian government of keeping a tight grip on its population through increasingly repressive measures. It says the government maintains total control through restrictive legislation, the use of violence, and widespread violations of people's human rights. Al-Nashif cited a series of legislative measures with detrimental consequences for people's reproductive rights and uncensored access to the Internet. However, the laws, she said, fail to criminalize violence against women and they undermine minority rights, particularly the Baha'i religious minority. Civic and democratic space continue to be restricted with human rights defenders and civil society actors operating within a coercive environment where violations are committed with impunity. In April and May of 2022, at least 55 individuals, teachers, lawyers, labor rights defenders, artists and academics were arrested during protests. Iran's deputy permanent representative in Geneva, Mehdi Ali Abadi, denounced the report as an appalling and disgraceful political tool used by the United States and Canada against his country. He said the report was biased and based on false allegations. He said Iran was fully committed to the protection and promotion of human rights and respected its international obligations. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. We love to hear from you on events we cover on this show. Here are listener comments we gathered this week. We heard from a number of you this week about our coverage of the teachers who were arrested in Rumbek, such as Jacob Diormatuang in Neural Lake State, who says... The suspension of workers for national parliament and imprisonment of teachers in Rumbek for peaceful demands of their rights is a miscarriage of justice in the country. We all have the right to protest peacefully as stipulated in the constitution of South Sudan. I call upon both the national parliament and the minister of education in Lake State to solve the two issues amicably. Samuel Remo in says hi John Tanza and Nabil Biagio. The arrest of the teachers in Lake State for demanding a salary increase, which has been approved by President Salva Kiir, was unlawful. We, the common citizens who vote for our representatives in national parliament and state government, have the right to point fingers at anyone who has gone wrong. They should respect us because we are their employer. Mabor Aladremo in Rumbek of Lake State says, Hello, VOA. The cancellation of the Pope's journey to South Sudan is not a surprise to me. This is because God himself does not want the Holy Father to come to a country where the leaders don't keep their promises. In May 2019, the Holy Father Pope Francis kissed the leaders' feet to indicate love and forgiveness towards their people. And it was all in vain. They forgot what the Holy Father did to them. Martin Manuel Wugol in Juba says, John and Nabil, good morning to you. The award of President Salva Kiir receiving an honorary doctorate is a welcome development and a good sign for leaders like him to work hard for the betterment of citizens. However, awarding the president an honorary doctorate degree is normal practice in the world, and nobody should take it out of context. Congratulations, Mr. President, you deserve it. Isaac Longwad from Rumbek in Lake State says, 
Hello, VOA. At first, I do appreciate John Tanza and the VOA team at large for giving us news on a daily basis about what is happening across our country, South Sudan, and beyond. Your usual service is much appreciated. May God bless you to continue delivering such a telecommunication service. Peter Goj Anyang Majongdul in Block 3, Bortown says, Hello, VOA. The inauguration of Luri and Aboba bridges yesterday is a big relief to communities and links other states to the capital, Juba. James Roy Majok from Unity State in Bentiu Town says, Hi, Nabil Biajo and John Tanzamabusu. Thank you for the VOA news program by remote. I wish world leaders to come up with good progress that can tackle global warming after the Commonwealth Summit in Rwanda. The African continent is facing more challenges regarding flooding, heavy rainfall and mudslides, plus pandemics that affect everyone's life. Drought and hunger are hitting several African countries. Garkwath Manong Chuang Pujik from Juba POC1 says, Hello, Nabil and John Tanza. The strategic plan launched by the government is welcome news. Let them go ahead with that spirit of development. I am now happy and glad for the two bridges that our government completely built in the heart of the capital, Juba. I urge our government to develop hospitals, schools, and tarmac roads nationwide and let them tighten the security deployment across our nation for citizens to feel free and safe. Mal Adaumal in Bortown writes, Hi VOA team, this so-called national development plan will also be a waste of resources and time, just like other initiatives launched years back and in actual sense yielding nothing. Why don't we tackle one task at a time instead of launching enormous plans that will never materialize? James Mading Gola Cage in Juba says, People need elections to put an end to the issue of a huge government which consists of five vice presidents and to eliminate corrupt elements in government. There is no need to delay elections. The views expressed here do not reflect the views of this program or of VOA. We appreciate hearing from you. Keep those comments coming. Keep your comments brief and we shall sample them every Friday. Our WhatsApp number is plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. Next, an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. The United States remains focused on the most serious long-term challenge to the international order, the People's Republic of China, said Secretary of State Antony Blinken. Under President Xi, the ruling Chinese Communist Party has become more repressive at home and more aggressive abroad. The U.S. cannot rely on the PRC to change its trajectory. Instead, the Biden administration has developed a strategy that can be summed up in three words, invest, align, compete. The Biden administration is investing in an industrial strategy to sustain and expand U.S. economic technological influence, making the U.S. economy and supply chains more resilient and competitive. The second piece of the strategy is to re-energize America's network of alliances and to re-engage in international institutions. Another area of alignment we share with our allies and partners is human rights, said Secretary Blinken. The United States stands with countries and people around the world against the genocide and crimes against humanity happening in the Xinjiang region, where more than a million people have been placed in detention camps because of their ethnic and religious identity. Stand together on Tibet 
where the authorities continue to wage a brutal campaign against Tibetans and their culture, language, and religious traditions. And in Hong Kong, where the Chinese Communist Party has imposed harsh anti-democratic measures under the guise of national security. That brings us to the third element of our strategy, which is to outcompete China in key areas, said Secretary Blinken. Beijing is taking advantage of the openness of our economies to spy, to hack, to steal technology and know-how, to advance its military innovation and entrench its surveillance state. So, as we make sure the next wave of innovation is unleashed by the United States and our allies and partners, we'll also protect ourselves against efforts to siphon off our ingenuity or imperil our security. On Taiwan, the United States remains committed to its one-China policy, which is guided by the Taiwan Relations Act, the three joint communiques, the six assurances. We oppose any unilateral actions to the status quo from either side. We do not support Taiwan independence, and we expect cross-strait differences to be resolved by peaceful means, said Secretary Blinken. We'll compete with confidence. We'll cooperate with China wherever we can. We'll contest where we must, declared Secretary Blinken. There's no reason why our great nations cannot coexist peacefully and share in and contribute to human progress together. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. That's all we have prepared for you this Friday. We now leave you with the song Mama Ama by Mido. in Washington. Thanks for taking your time to be with us this evening. Join us next week for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America.